Welcome again. Uh, my name is Jason, one of the pastors with this crew here at Artisan as well. And good to see you guys here. Uh, on, as Scott said, this snowy January day. I kind of like the snow, but it is a pain to get around and, and shovel. So the last few days we've been talking about, our last few weeks, these days of Jesus, particularly between his birth, which we're real familiar with, Christmas, we celebrate that, and the more obvious days of his full earthly ministry, you know, full-blown. But there's a bunch of days in between. And this baptism was just at the dawning of his ministry really kicking into gear. It was an odd day. And so surely... This would mean something for us. Uh, I was thinking about this, about Jesus' baptism and and what baptism means. It had me reflecting on on what baptism has meant in my own life. And started working backwards. Uh, Some of you were here maybe this past year. We had a wonderful baptism celebration here at Artisan. And I had the incredible privilege that, uh, that most pastors, let alone most dads, don't get to have of baptizing my own children, uh, making a public profession all on their own. In fact, they came to me when they found out we were having baptisms. They said, so why can't we be baptized? And being a rather, I don't know, feeling kind of conservative theologically and pastorally in that area, I wanted to be very careful that they weren't just doing something because their dad was a pastor or everyone else was doing it. And so very seriously, I told them all that it meant about this is you making a public profession of that you're a follower of Christ, you've asked him to forgive your sins, and you're going to live your life for him. And they said, well, yeah, we did that like a few months ago last year. And, oh, okay, good to know. Fant- fantastic pastor, great dad. Uh, you should probably talk more, kids, about significant spiritual moments in your life. So that was an amazing baptismal moment. I also had the privilege a few years before that of baptizing my wife, Lisa. Now, this wasn't one of those missionary dating situations where I got her all <laughs> kind of cleaned up and off the streets and uh, right with God, and then I got to bat. No, she'd been a Christian longer in many ways than I had, I think. But for whatever reason, she had slipped through the cracks and, uh, of the system, whatever that was. And, uh, and so after we moved here to Rochester, where I was doing an internship exploring whether or not church planting was something I should be doing, uh, as part of that experience, there was a baptismal service and, and again, had the privilege of baptizing her. And then my own baptism was significant as well. Uh, briefly, did not grow up in a Christian family or even a family that sort of faked it and went to church on Sundays. Just a good, solid American family. So I came to faith in Christ somewhat on my own, though there's no such thing as that, but a bit apart from my family. And... Again, for whatever reason, I sort of slipped through the cracks there at the church and wasn't baptized very close to that event. It was a handful of years later. And for me, it was, it was around a time when I was making this shift in my understanding of following Christ from, from him merely being my savior and just forgiving my sins, which, don't get me wrong, that's a, that's a really big deal, <laughs> but that he was Lord of my entire life. It was around the age of 17 when that happened, and, and it was then that I decided I needed to be baptized as well, and, uh, and friends and family got to observe that, and so that, that was an amazing milestone for me. But as wonderful as all those were, uh, there was another baptism in, that I was involved in, 
that was particularly significant and goes to this idea of what that represents, of what it symbolizes, what it's a sacrament of, what Christ was demonstrating for us. And so in college, as I was uh, pursuing my calling about a year or so after that profound shift in my understanding of Christ being Lord of my life, being baptized, uh, I had someone that I cared a great deal for that I wanted to communicate that to. I wanted to explain that in a way that they could hear. And that person was my mom. And so my mom has certainly had her share, more than her share perhaps, of rough experiences, of setbacks, of just wounding moments from her childhood and other events. And so at that point, she was going through one of those seasons that uh, my parents had been divorced for a few years at that point. Her, her son had left the home. She, was, she had my wonderful sister, Jill, who at the time was a bit difficult, my younger sister. And so my mom, though, was a very creative person. And one of her outlets was writing, still is, I think, particularly poetry. And so I thought, uh, how could I speak this into her life? Now, I enjoy creative communication, but poetry is not my idiom. I don't go there as a way to uh, describe things. So I found it rather odd and a bit humorous on God's part that I felt this burden there at the ripe age of 18 to write a poem to my mom. To describe my faith. So most of you are thinking right now, that's a, that's a neat story. Thankfully, he's not going to read us that poem. Because <laughs> let's be honest, who wants to hear a poem that some 19-year-old wrote to his mom? Oh, that it were so. Because as I was looking at this poem, it actually held up pretty well. Oh, it reads like some 19-year-old kid wrote it for his mom. I, you know, it's not going to go into any anthology anytime soon. Unless it's one of those ones that they say, if you pay us $100, you can be in the book. Yeah. Don't do that. It's, it's, a, it's a trick. Uh, but some 20 years later, as I was looking at this, and it has lots of imagery, it's called Born of Water. It did a pretty good job of capturing what that baptism, what that faith meant and means in my life. And it ties in, interestingly, in my mom's life. So if you'll indulge me a little bit, I'll break it up. And, and the scriptures we're going to look at here are in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, if you feel like flipping there and being ready. So here's, uh, here's how I began this, to begin to explaining to my mom, someone I cared deeply about, what faith in Christ came to mean to me, but really back before that, what, how I viewed life. So here we go. A little slam poetry meets preaching. We'll see what happens. So my limbs pushed sluggishly against the liquid around me. I was born into this watery world, but somehow feel I do not belong. I examine my legs as they kick against my surroundings, set me in motion after a fashion, but appear to be designed for so much more. My language contains no words for run. I stumble and founder along the bottom as mud and muck mire my progress. I want so to rest and stand firm on some immovable surface, but my footing is unsure along the slimy bottom. 
I look about me and off through the distance for such a standing place. The dark waters limit, distort my vision. Still, I'm sure there's no such place out there. Something beckons me to the vertical. Some inner spark that is truly me. And so I struggle upward, arms and legs laboring, hard against the water. Limbs quickly growing tired. While my sodden weight drags me back down to the miry bottom. I descend in a slow spiral, head tilted far back, my eyes strain upward, searching for what I do not know. My eye catches a glimpse of something almost too distant and faint to perceive, yet it stands in sharp contrast to my dark, watery world. I'm at a loss to name this new experience received by my sight. My language contains no word for light. I finally settle to the bottom, the black waters pressing heavy against my frame. Coldness seeps into my body, enfolding my mind and making me drowsy. I resign myself to this fate as the comforting numbness overtakes me. My eyes close. And so I wanted to communicate to my mom that before Christ was part of my life, this was a, an accurate description. That life for me as that young boy, early teen, often felt like I was pushing against something that shouldn't be there. That as I looked at the world around me, it seemed not quite right, but there was nothing I could do about it. And at times, I felt resigned to that. It was even comfortable to just stop struggling. But more so, as I was writing this for my mom on the other side of the events of Christ in my life, his days becoming part of my days, I feared that that was where my mom was at. That she was very much resigning herself. That she was accepting a comforting numbness that was overtaking her. And that there was a danger that she was going to live her life with her eyes closed. And back in the days of Jesus, that sentiment was rather common, particularly among Jesus' people, the Jews. A sense of resignation that the world is not as it should be, and yet there's not much we can do about it. And the more we fight and push and struggle, the harder it gets, and the more we get pressed back down. And so it's in the midst of that that the Gospel of Mark says these events took place. Mark chapter 1, verse 4, and the beginning of 5, describes how in those days, John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him. There was a hunger, a desire. A similar hunger and desire that I think bring many who are seeking and searching here to Artisan. A sense that the world is not as it should be. That we're designed for so much more. 
but something presses us down and seeks to drown us. And so even before I knew Christ, I had that sense. So I tried to capture that for my mom. My eyes close. But a corner of my mind is yet untouched by the encroaching numbness. It thinks back to that glimpse of brightness seen in my upward journey. My still cold heart begins to warm within me with an aching to see more. And in a moment of terrorizing comprehension, my mind turns agonizingly clear and I now realize that I don't belong here in this disabling and lifeless world. I was not created or designed for such an existence. My entire being screams out against this place, which seeks to subtly destroy me. I spring to action, frantically thrashing toward that remembered brightness far above. Muscles scream in anguish from intense effort and strain as the dark, heavy waters press upon me, and my own stony weight seeks to drag me back down. An eternity later, I discern broken light through the rippling top of my world. My head is lifted and my strength renewed as I contemplate a world of freedom and light beyond. My arm stretches, hand extended, wishing to break through to this light. Feet kick, fingers reach. But my touch falls just short. exhausted and completely drained. My tired body once more begins to descend. My vision clouds red with rage and fear. There must be someone above that can pull me from these shadowy waters of death. I cry, but tears are lost, unnoticed as they float away. I know there is no hope within myself. Help must come from above. And so one of the things I tried to do before accepting what Christ offered was I tried to improve my swimming technique. I worked on my stroke. Wanted to see that I could hold my breath longer than the next guy. It was a race for who would drown last. Because somehow that was a win. And my fear was that in my mom's life, she also was struggling to just take off some strokes, to hold her breath longer. Mark chapter 1, back at verse 5. And it says, And the people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him, John the baptizer, and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. There is no hope within myself. Confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he proclaimed, the one who's more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
I know there is no hope within myself. I would love that I could have said to my mom even at the time, if you just try harder, that it's in you to get this thing right. And it would be somewhat comforting to say to this gathered group that, you know what? You have what it takes. But it's not true. If it were true, this would be a much better world. Now, I think we are fearfully and wonderfully made, created in the image of God, but that image is broken and damaged by sin so that no matter how hard we stretch and thrash, it always falls short. And in Jesus' day, there were some folks who were beginning to catch on in a powerful way. And John was setting the stage. So I know there is no hope within myself. Help must come from above. And something plunges fiercely through the rippling barrier into the dark, heavy waters that surround me. And in a fury of foam and spray, my outstretched hand is powerfully grasped. And I am violently wrenched from the water and placed in a strange new world. I double over, coughing out the thick, choking waters of my other world. But sweet, refreshing air soon fills my lungs until my breathing is strong and regular. I stand, feeling beneath my feet a solid, unyielding surface. But its unmoving quality comforts me in its stability. And for a while, my eyes remain squinted slits, unaccustomed to the intense brightness around me. But my sight soon adjusts until I make out the figure of a man before me. My rescuer stands there with a strong, gentle hand laid on my shoulder, steadying me in my confused and weakened state. I glance to where his hand rests there upon my shoulder. Blood and water slowly trickle down the length of my arm. It comes not from any wound of my own, but from his own mangled hand. And as I examine him more closely, I am amazed he can even stand with the ragged gash in his side, the gaping wounds clear through his feet. I look for their cause, knowing they were brought about by my rescue. And as I stand there, in his presence, a renewing energy flows through my body, and warmth from the light fills my heart and mind. I look out from this rock, down into the deep black waters I was pulled from, the faces of others. My mom's face stare blindly back as they struggle down there alone. Some lay at the bottom listless and resigned, but others, as I had, seek to gain this rock. Beside my rescuer, there lays coiled a great length of stout rope, securely anchored by a sturdy pin driven deep into the rock. 
I gaze into my rescuer's unblinking eyes, comprehending all he has done for me. And looking back at those lost beneath the waters, I firmly tie the rope's free end about my waist and dive back in. My language now contains the word, Savior. And so that was my best attempt to describe to my mom what was at the heart of that baptism she had witnessed a few months earlier. The faith that that was at the core of what I was publicly professing there in that little country church. So I gave her that as a gift. A few months later, my friend Andrew Suster and I were sitting in my mom's living room. And as the conversation unfolded, we found ourselves praying. And my mom reaching out to Christ and asking that he would forgive her sins and keep her from drowning. Within the year, I walked back down the stairs into that baptismal pool that was at the front of that church where I was baptized. I walked back down those stairs into that water for a second time. I had the privilege of taking my mom by her hand and leading her into those waters as well. And there together with my youth pastor, Brian Lamberton, asked her, do you renounce Satan all his ways? And to hear my mom say, yes. Do you receive Christ and his forgiveness and seek to walk in his ways all the days of your life? And to hear my mom say, yes. Then to take her in my arms, the one she had held in her arms, And in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, baptize her. I would love to say that from that day forward, all of her days were the days of Jesus at work in her life. That would be a lie. She still has and has had some pretty rough days. If anyone tells you that's what you should expect, that the days will get easier, they've either never really been a Christian themselves, or they haven't been one for very long. But what I do know about my mom's life is that apart from Christ's saving grace, I certainly would not have an eternity uh, to spend with her. But apart from his saving grace and his ongoing perfecting grace that sometimes is excruciatingly slow, I'm not sure she'd be alive today. And I do know that those darker days when it has seemed 
like it'd be sweet relief for her and a release to go back to those dark, pressing waters that she knows of the rock to return to. So I'm hopeful that in this life, that will keep getting worked out in her life. And I'm confident that in the life beyond this, it'll all be made right as well. And so Mark chapter 1, verse 9, says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, my beloved, and with you I am well pleased. And so in this moment of Christ's baptism, we see the fullness of God revealed, of one God, yet Father, Son, and Spirit. And we see in Christ's example a willingness to be obedient even though he was without sin, to go before us. And to provide a picture of the death we all must die so that we can have life for real. Jesus calls us to the water but he never waters down the calling. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And so this particular day of Jesus speaks pretty profoundly to what our days should be and how they should be marked and that there's choices to make. For those who aren't followers of Christ, there's a good chance that part of the reason you're here, oh, it may be that you're here with a friend or a spouse, but even that you're willing to, to come with your friend or a spouse might indicate a sense in your own life that this world is not as it should be. I seem designed for so much more. And my encouragement to you is to stop improving your stroke. And to reach out. And take that rather humbling step of being rescued. For those who are followers of Christ, 
Have you grown a bit comfortable on your beachfront property? It's a wonderful view there on the rock, isn't it? As long as you don't look back in the water. But the way the sun hits it and just kick back. Is it time for you to dive back in, firmly anchored now? And as much as you couldn't rescue yourself under your own power and strength, don't think for a minute you're going to be pulling people out either. But what you can do is point them to the surface. Because unless someone is born from above, they're never going to see the kingdom of God in this life or the one beyond. Let's pray. So Jesus, I thank you for the days that you chose to live in full view, that you chose to enter history in the human condition and set an example, but more than an example, to live a life that we could not live on our own. It is not in us to rescue ourselves. And that in the mystery of baptism, there is a picture there of obedience to the God who created us, of calling upon the Son who saves us, and of receiving the Spirit that strengthens us so that we can dive back in and point others towards you as well. So God, may the days of Jesus become our days as well. And may we use those days wisely because every day counts. And may the picture of your baptism become an encouragement for those of us who have been baptized. And may it beckon those of us who are still living under the water. Raise us to new life, I pray. Call us to live out our days for your purposes. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, the remainder of worship is a time to respond to God's word in some simple ways that, that are here each week. If you are one of those followers of Christ, I know there's many of you here, approaching the table as that spiritual means of sustenance would be a wonderful response. To tear a piece of the bread, that sacrament of Christ's broken body, to dip it in the wine or the juice, that symbol of his shed blood, and to remember who caused his wounds and the difference that makes. And then strengthened by that, to dive back in. For those who aren't followers of Christ, it is incredibly appropriate for you not to go to the table, but to reflect on where you are with Christ, why you're here, if God is real, what he might be speaking into your life. And I would encourage you, don't go. Unless today is a different day than yesterday. Unless this is a day 
that you want to stop kicking and thrashing and let someone grab you by the hand and wrench you, yes, often violently, from those dark, drowning waters. If that is you, that would be a wonderful first outward expression of that step of faith. I'm going to hang out here in the front row if anyone wants to talk or pray during the service or afterwards. You can catch one of us. Um, But respond as God leads you. Amen.